0: I probably don't need to tell you that today is Valentine's Day. I suspect many of us in this room have spent the past week wondering what gift to give that special person in in our life. Your ultimate decision may say a lot about the relationship you're in, especially near the beginning of the relationship, or so says psychology professor Karen Pine. For example, if you give your significant other tickets for a trip together, Or if you give him or her a cute puppy or some other kind of pet, well, that indicates that you think this relationship has some longevity to it. If you give that someone special something you've made yourself, then supposedly you're willing to be more vulnerable with your sweetheart and to let yourself be known. If you give them something that they mentioned wanting a long time ago, then you're in a caring relationship where desires are noted and remembered. Now, the gift of jewelry can be a little ambiguous or a little dangerous. Either it indicates, one, extravagant feelings, or two, it discloses a distance in the relationship that the giver is trying to overcome. So try figuring that one out. A fun song written especially for the occasion reveals a couple that is carefree, while giving the latest technological gadget shows a practical side to a relationship. I'm still trying to figure out what it means that Dave, while recently doing the dishes, suggested that this year we buy one another a new nonstick skillet for Valentine's Day. <laughs> the point is that at the end of the day, gift-giving is usually not so much about the material thing that is given. It's much more about the relationship itself. The giving and receiving of gifts helps form and nurture a relationship. And if we think of the word gift as including kind actions and deep emotions, our thoughts and our intentions, well then the exchange of gifts is actually the relationship itself. This social basis of gift giving is nothing new. We see it in today's reading from Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is cast as a set of speeches that Moses gives before Israel on the day of his death, speeches reminding them of the covenant between God and Israel established in the wilderness and of the rules and rituals that are a part of that covenant. In today's passage, we hear about the ritual gift-giving that marks the first harvest. When the Israelites come into the land that God has promised them, They are to take a portion of the first fruits of their harvest and bring it to the priest. And as the priest takes the offering from the Israelites' hand, that person is to recite a history of God's saving acts in the life of Israel, a history of the gifts of God for the people of God. Beginning with the words, a wondering Aramean was my ancestor, the worshiper is to recount how God formed a strong and populous nation how God heard their cries of oppression in Egypt, rescued them with mighty acts, and brought them into a land flowing with milk and honey. At its root, this whole ritual of first fruits reminds the Israelites that in the context of a covenant, the proper response to a gift is to give a gift in return, not because we're obliged to do so and not because we're in any kind of debt, but simply because this exchange of gifts symbolizes the give and take of love, desire, faithfulness, and gratitude that underlies the whole relationship. This ritual reminds the Israelites that all that they are and all that they have is ultimately a gift from God, not just the harvest that they celebrate that day. And so if that's the case, then their gift in return is really not just a portion of what they've received. Instead, their gift to God is their whole life, every moment, every day, every year. This ritual reminds the Israelites that not only has God brought them to this moment, but that God will also remain with them in the years to come. It's a ritual not only of gratitude for the past and present, but also of hope for the future. Now who knew such a simple liturgy could be so all-encompassing? I actually think that this passage from Deuteronomy is a particularly fitting one to begin our season of Lent. After all, as we gathered this past Wednesday, before the ashes were placed on our foreheads, they were blessed with these words. Almighty God, you have created us out of the dust of the earth. Grant that these ashes may be to us a sign of our mortality and penitence that we may remember that it is only by your gracious gift that we are given everlasting life. So if we look at that prayer, we begin the season of Lent remembering that God is both creator and redeemer, remembering that it is only by the grace or gift of God that we have been both wonderfully created and yet more wonderfully redeemed. Our work of Lent is to figure out our response to this great gift of creation and redemption. Think about it, we even use terms that speak of gift-giving to describe our Lenten disciplines as if they are also gifts in return. For example, we talk about what we will give up during Lent, and we remember to give of ourselves and our resources to those in need, to those on the margins of our society, and we speak of this Lenten practice as almsgiving. But even though we decide to give of ourselves in very specific ways to mark the season of Lent, the work that we do, the work of self-examination throughout these 40 days, it's all ultimately geared toward asking a much greater question. What might it look like for my whole life to be an offering to God? What might it look like for my whole life to be shaped by the ongoing exchange of gifts that marks the covenant between God and God's people? To answer this question, yes, we'll have to consider all the ways that we fall short, all the ways that our lives fail to reflect our love for God and our love for the world around us. And this is the role that repentance plays during Lent. But to answer this question of how our whole life might be an offering— We also have to take a look at our talents and our abilities and then explore how they might be used for good in the places we live and work and move. This is what I want us to to be clear about. The work of Lent is not just about deconstructing or tearing down the sinful parts of our lives. It's also about creating new responses to and with the gifts that we've been given by God. It's not just a turning away from what is destructive, but a turning toward that which brings life. It's not just about our sinfulness in the past or in the present, but also about our hope for the future. So, Lent is kind of like a Valentine's Day on steroids. Lent is about the giving of ourselves in response to the one who loves us most of all. And so why not do this work of Lent with joy?